This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Improve your health and well-being the natural way with The Medicine Man, next on Plains FM. topic today that's quite relevant, I believe, in the age of COVID, the age of pandemics and um, what we're doing about it. So I, I've got a two, my two cents worth. So um, come back in a f- few moments after this little song and um, we're going to talk about some really practical stuff and a very famous person that I'd like to introduce to you. The first person or in modern Western history that told people to wash your hands. Back soon. I've been dreaming friendly faces. I've got so much time to kill. Just imagine people laughing. I know someday we will. And even if it's far away, get me through another day. Cameron here on Plains FM, and we're talking about um, Dr. Ignatz Semmelweis, uh, who uh, was born in 1818 and died in 1865 at the age of 47. But before I talk about him, have you got it yet, the importance of washing your hands? It's a bit of a no-brainer, isn't it? 
must admit, ever since I was a child, I've been obsessed with washing my hands, I have to say. Um, it's quite a ritual. I love to do it. And there's something just nice about having clean hands. You're shaking hands with people, you know, and the hands are the things that interact with the world, isn't it? They're the first physical things that we as Westerners anyway, we, we, we interact with our hands, the first thing. And there's even, I remember, an ancient Babylonian um, uh, frieze uh, carving of uh, two kings Shaking hands, so it's really quite profound, really. Anyway, to, to keep clean hands, we all know it's a no-brainer. I don't need to go on about it, but I will for a while because, you know, that's where all the germs habitate. But way back in the 19th century, which wasn't actually that long ago, if we go back to Europe, um, Britain, Europe, Hungary, oh, you know, all these places, um, doctors at the time didn't know that it was a really good idea to actually wash your hands. In fact, um, some of them prided themselves in how dirty and black their gowns were, the surgeons in particular, uh, to say that the blacker the gown, i.e. dried blood, the more senior they were, the more high up they were. So it's pretty cool. Um, and they would go into a morgue and dissect bodies and then go around to the next clinic and um, deliver um, babies with these dirty hands. And so you had up to 30% of women in their wards would be dying of what they call purple fever, which is a pretty nasty sepsis, um, uh, particularly in the, in the female organs. They would die a horrible, horrible death, up to 30% of them. So um, there were two wards back time and uh, way way back then, and we're talking in this time where where Dr. Ignaz Semmelweis worked as a surgeon, as a senior surgeon. Um, and there were two wards. One ward was run by was a free ward for the poor people. They couldn't really afford doctors, so they did have a free ward, and it was run by midwives and occasional students. Young students were there to to practice on them, right? And this ward was the birthing unit for for women. Uh, and the other ward, of course, where Ignace worked, was the surgical ward where people would pay to get the finest medical care of all. And um, unfortunately, that most women, in fact, it was huge that most women would rather bear children on the street than go to the doctor's wards because they all knew how the mortality rate was so high. But in the other ward, the free ward run by midwives, the mortality rate was around 2%. 2%. And uh, around about um, 1840, 1850-something, uh, the, the uh, mortality rate was, yes, absolutely shocking. And, um, but Ignaz, young Ignaz Semmelweis, a Hungarian, this is in Hungary, uh, really wondered why that was so different. Why? And he began to just really observe the, um, the, the wards run by the midwives. And uh, he did it quite... Um, he got all the details. He really did it as best he could according to the scientific method, which is observation, um, hypothesis, experimentation, and proving the results. And this was a really perfect um, occasion because you've got two wards where the practices were exactly the same. If anything, the, the, the one with the higher mortality rate, the, the surgeons there were very highly skilled for their day although they did practice bloodletting, that their idea for if, if a woman got sepsis, um, puerperal fever, they would just take about half a litre of blood out of them, and they're already exhausted, so they almost, well, they invariably died, didn't they? Um, so in a way, the other ward where they were less skilled, um, possibly that may have been another reason why the mortality rate was so low. However, um, 
Semmelweis could find the only real difference was that the midwives washed their hands. Their hands were clean, and generally their clothes were clean. They didn't have black blood, because, and of course they never went to the morgue to dissect bodies. So one day, um, one of Semmelweis's colleagues accidentally cut him's finger while he was dissecting a body, and within a few days later, he got all the symptoms of puerperal fever, or sorry, septus, died of septicemia, and he died. Yes, he died within a few days, I think. And it was the exact same symptoms, and Semmelweis had a little light bulb that went off at his head. Perhaps it's the only, the, the, perhaps there's something in the hands that is transmitted from dead bodies to the, to the women you know, giving birth. And uh, so he ended up getting um, them to actually wash their hands, to wash their hands. And he got them to wash their hands with chloride of lime, which is really interesting because now we know that chloride of lime kills just about any bug there is. It's probably even used today as a powerful antiseptic. And um, so the uh, in a very short time, the death rate in his ward went down to uh, less than 3%, which was just astonishing. Um, and so what a breakthrough, what a wonderful opportunity to change the world and save all that suffering. And so, of course, he got his um, his colleagues to wash their hands and all the students had to wash their hands. And, you know, as, as of course, you and me are quite normal, we would think this is wonderful breakthrough. But did they, did his colleagues think that was a good idea? Hell no. They was shocking almost caused a riot, really. They um, criticised the hell out of him. They, um, he had a hell of a job, but, but he did get his ward to wash their hands. And sure enough, um, the, uh, the other doctors, professors, even his own professor said if he kept doing that, he'd be fired. He, they would fire him, yep. And yes, dutifully, he got fired and went to work free for another hospital there where he got the same results. And uh, uh, unfortunately, the medical professions at the time just hounded him and hounded him until he wrote several letters to different institutions. And unfortunately, he didn't have the, the gift of the gab, you know, a bit like me, really, not the gift of the gab. And uh, he got very, very critical. And of course, doctors, they didn't like that at all. And eventually he had a breakdown and ended up in a mental institution where he lasted two weeks before in a struggle while he tried to escape the mental institution he um he got an injury uh, a wound that got septus and he died of septicemia he died of puerperal fever he died of the same thing all those women that he saved and to this day we have a debt to Ignaz uh, Semmelweis uh, because millions and millions and millions of people's lives have been saved. Now, that's not to say that the ancient Greeks and the Muslims and the Romans and a number of other uh, um, ancient civilizations didn't wash their hands because they were very much into hygiene. In fact, the Greek, one of the Greek gods of medicine was called Hygieia, where we get the name hygiene from. And they were very big into bathing and all that. In Japan, of course, they're really into hygiene, you know, hot baths and all the rest of it. But it was lost in the dark ages, and that means really dark ages. In Europe, we were a dumb bunch, an absolutely thick bunch. Even in Elizabethan England, they, they thought washing was actually dangerous. I mean, Queen Elizabeth it was just caked and sort of lead, I think, or whatever it was on her face. And um, they hardly ever washed. 
Um, and you'd think what we know today, I mean, it's a no-brainer, isn't it? But uh, well, the surprising thing is, although I'm not surprised in my experience as a naturopath and a herbalist, I'm not surprised at all, is that the mainstream actually um, can be quite bloody ignorant. Um, however, we're living in a really enlightened age now today, aren't we? So... Um, Anyway, get, getting back to Ignaz, Ignaz, I think that's what he's saying, Semmelweis, is it was another 30 years before washing hands was introduced into European hospitals. And, and I know this is hard to believe, but you can always look it up, but I'm telling you it took them another 30, 33 years before they brought the practice of washing hands before they actually delivered babies. I mean, it's just... Just think about that for a minute. Just, just, just <laughs> Anyway, and why do they do it? Because Joseph Lister, who was quite a famous surgeon at the time, thought it was a good idea, and, and, he, and then Louis Pasteur discovered germs. And so they were able to prove it. But Ignaz, Ignaz Semmelweis had proved it through the scientific method. All right? But now that they could see the bugs and have a little story about you know, germs... That finally, you know, and nowadays we think it's a no-brainer and it's hard to believe that things existed, but guess what? In my humble opinion, nothing has changed in another area because we do have um, certain habits that we do today that are disease-producing, and I'm talking about our food and drug industry, which is money-driven, and I hate to say that, and I'll probably be shot today, so if, I, if you don't hear from me again, it was nice talking to you and good on you guys. Thanks for listening. And I know I'm only talking to you guys who are already converted, so I don't know why I'm wasting my time coming here in the first place. But um, <clears throat> our food and drug industry is absolutely shocking the way that it only deals with symptoms and it suppresses the symptoms. And if you gave a lot of the, and I'm not saying all of them, I'm not writing everything off. Please don't take me out of context. I'm saying there are some life-saving medicines out there. Bless their hearts. Um, <clears throat> but I am saying that if you give a, uh, virtually 90% <clears throat> or anyone of, of 90% of pharmaceutical drugs made from petrochemicals um, to somebody who's healthy, it makes them sick. But why would you give someone who's sick something that would make a person sick? I just don't get it. I'm sorry. I just don't get it. I'm a simple chap. I am. I'm a simple chap. But I do not get it. I don't get it. And, and, and I have a dream. In fact, that's what we should play on the radio. I have a dream too. I have a dream. I have a dream of hospitals that actually have a great big sort of wailing pot full of herbal medicine. You know, that's got echinacea and calendula and peppermint and whatever else is in there. And they all get those jugs of, of herbal medicine while they're in hospital recovering from whatever it is, COVID or flu or, or whatever it is they've got. And they've got this herbal medicine on tap. They don't have to have it, but they've got the choice there. They've got the choice. And um, they got fresh vegetables. And, and next to the hospital, these organic gardens that people that are unemployed come in and they actually have to do a couple of hours work every day on the organic gardens for the sick people and those organic veggies and they actually work in the kitchens and things like that and there's no such thing as unemployment and they actually make all, they, they bring in the organic foods, they make salads and they get juice extractors and they give the patient juices and wouldn't it be a fantastic experiment if they just did this for one ward, one ward in the hospital, right? 
And I tell you now, the rate of the, they wouldn't stay in the hospital long, or they might want to stay there to have more of the juices, but they would get better quicker. They'll be out of that hospital in half the time they'd normally be there. And they'd also learn some principles because there'll be, there'll be special cooking lessons where they'll be taught all about um, high density food. They'll, they'll learn all about Western Price, that magnificent dentist that talked about, you know, the dental health and all the rest of the things they could learn in the hospital while they're sick. And they'll be out of there. And are they, is that ever? Ever been done? Well, yes, it is, but not in the same hospital. Not in the same hospital. So I challenge this government to actually bring in a test. I challenge this, this government to actually, and the medical profession, to finally give us natural weirdos a chance by having a double-blind clinical uh, experiment of one ward where they're feeding them good stuff and herbal medicine, along with whatever else they give, and leave the other and have a double-blind clinical trial and see the power of herbal medicine because I personally see that every single day in my practice. There is no way I can ever say that it's not the truth. And here's the thing, you know, that the truth cannot be suppressed for so long. You can only just keep it down for so long. And this COVID um, thing, what a wonderful opportunity for the entire medical health profession to finally stand up and say the truth. The truth is why we're succumbing to these, these viruses is because of the food and drug industry, because the junk food they eat, the terrible habits that you have, the radiation, the heavy metals, the petrochemicals and all the rest of it has weakened our immune system to the point where we're more susceptible than we've ever been in history. And whose fault is it? It's not your fault. It's because the media has been telling you a whole lot of garbage. And unfortunately, there's the odd health practitioner out there that you go with whatever you've got, let's say it's just eczema, and they give you a steroid. And the reason you've got eczema is because you've got a dairy allergy or a wheat allergy or a peanut allergy or whatever else. And they didn't tell you that. But they did give you the steroid and the, and the, the problem went away, but it didn't go away. No, it didn't. Your skin got really great, but where did the toxins go? Where did all that waste acid and all that histamine go? It ended up in your liver. Oh, that's funny. What's histamine? What's this doing in my liver? Oh, I'm wondering why I'm getting migraines. Oh, it must be something in Kylie. Better go, better go and make another appointment and get something else for my liver problem. I mean, for God's sake, we've got to just wake up. We really do. We really have to wake up. So anyway, is it true? I'm asking you a question. I'm going to ask you a question I want you to really think about. Is it true? I'm asking the government, is it true? I'm asking every person who considers himself a health practitioner out there, I'm going to ask you this question. Is it true that our trusted servants of public health strive for integrity and accountability, health for all? Is it true? Think about that. Is it really true? I'm not going to answer it for you. I've got my opinion. You have your own opinion. Now, just about every time I hear on the radio today, uh, any day, and on the news, it's about these poor people that are suffering from these terrible diseases, and, and, and I really feel for them. And um, many of these diseases are because of the things I'm talking about, of poor nutrition, of genetic weaknesses through chemi chemical exposure, heavy metal, blah, blah, blah. Um, but... They're asking for money. It's going to solve it. No, it's not going to solve it if you keep doing the same thing and expecting a different result. All the money in the world that you throw at it is not going to change it. So here is there's a profession, my profession, naturopathy, medical herbalism. I've been doing it for 40 years with the oldest natural, with the oldest, I'm going to say the oldest profession. <laughs> herbal medicine has been around for thousands of years. 
It's perfectly scientific. In fact, I was having a conversation with a cancer specialist the other day, and I asked her, Do, have you um, done any reading about the effects of, of nutrition on, um, on cancer? And she said, and this has really astonished me, she said, well, <clears throat> there's not a single double-blind um, con- uh, controlled experiment to prove that, that food has got anything to do with cancer. And I was just stunned because I said to her, who told you that? Here's the truth. There's thousands of clinical double-blind trials on food, nutrition, and cancer. Thousands of them, well proven, without a shadow of a doubt. And this is a specialist in cancer treatment that didn't know the connection between food and cancer. Anyway, um, this profession, my profession, naturopathy, herbal medicine, nutrition, we're one profession. We're not asking for any more money. Isn't that astonishing? We're not asking for more money. We're just asking that you just give us a little bit of credibility because it's a no-brainer. It's just like washing your hands. So truth is the truth and will never be fully suppressed. It will always arise again no matter what. And uh, knowledge is not power, however. So me just telling you this stuff, it's the application of un- an understanding of what's really going on. And it is so simple. And this is the thing. We're so used to being everything so complex. Oh, he's so clever. Oh, he must know what he's doing. No, you can be as clever as hell. You know, the cleverest people in the world, um, you know, Oppenheimer, he made the atomic bomb. That's clever, but it's not actually very wise. So what do I do? What do I say now? I've said it, you know. I've asked you a question. Is our, is our pub, Are we doing all the right things? Yes, we're washing our hands, and I think that's the most wonderful thing to do. So when you wash your hands, you look at this clean hand and we'll... I wonder if you could have a look at your liver at the moment. I wonder what that would look like. I wonder if you had a look in your bowel and had a look at all the chips and things that are lining the layer. Of the, you know, um, If you could look inside the body and could see what's going inside, we have a polluted planet and our bodies are polluted, every one of us, because we can't get away from the heavy metals, the petrochemicals, the radiation and so forth. That viruses actually love. But there is one thing that can do that. There's one science that can do that above all sciences. And it's been around for a long time, and it's called iridology. The eye is a transparent organ. You can see through it. When you look in the eye, you can see the whole body because the iris fibers, the bra- it's brain tissue, and the brain's in connection with every organ of the body. So the beautiful thing is with iridology, there's some certain basic things that one can see, and you can actually see the level of pollution in a human body. You can see the degree of pollution that we're at. And when you really know the science and when you've been practicing it for 40 years, as I have, I don't care what you do when you Google it because it'll say it's all quackery. It is not quackery. It's pure, unadulterated, the truth, because it actually shows you where the toxins are building up, what organs they're building up, and also gives you ideas of genetic strengths and weaknesses. But this is not a rave about iridology. This is a rave about common sense. This is a rave about getting back to the garden again. So I hope there's a few things that I've said today, you know, that yes, I've got a dream too, and I hope you can share that dream and get it into action. So I think our politicians need a bit of a shake-up, and I think our health practitioners, all of us need a shake-up. I'm not just pointing the finger at everybody. We all need to know that certain amount of our our understanding we don't have the full understanding and it's everybody's got a blind spot and have a look at that blind spot and just think logically nice to talk to you today have a wonderful time and we'll catch up next time and i'm going to try to do my best to work with practical things to show you what you can do to actually get the best body and the happiest place you can be now if you need to contact me 
it's, I'm easy to get. My website is www.nzherbal.com or you can just put Mike McCammon, uh, Michael McCammon uh, Herbalist. There's two Mike McCammons in New Zealand as far as I know, but Mike McCammon Herbalist or you can just ring us on 03-332-1786. But the best way is just NZ Herbal or NewZealandHerbals.com. If you want any questions to answer, we're very happy to answer with questions. If you'd like to have an appointment with me, perfectly fine if you can fit in. You might have a bit of a wait, but I'd love to see you anyway and just tell you the good news because I've got so much good news. It's not all bleak. It's wonderful news. You know, but the very nature of my work here, I'm talking about what's wrong, but there's a whole lot of things that are right. Love you all. Catch up in a month.